Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life. Hi, and a very warm welcome from me, your host, Phil Parker, to this podcast on the essential skills of NLP. This is a series of 10 free podcasts introducing the fascinating field of NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Programming. If you've enjoyed these podcasts, you can get the rest of the entire series directly from the iTunes store. Simply search for me, Phil Parker, or Essential NLP to find it. Welcome to Essential Skills of NLP, podcast number two. Hi, I'm Phil Parker. If you tuned into podcast number one, you'd hear me giving a general overview of what we're going to be covering in this podcast series, the fascinating world of NLP, looking particularly at how you can use that in your life, making it real, and also looking from time to time at the mind-body connection, which is a special kind of area of excellence that I work in. Today, we're going to be starting our journey on some specific techniques that you can start to apply in your life and just to generally make your life better and improve the lives of others around you. Two major features we're going to be looking at today. One is rapport and the second is states. So let's begin with rapport. Uh, Rapport is the ability that we have as humans to feel comfortable with each other. And, of course, there are times when that's not the case. There are times when we are with people and we just don't have a good feeling about it. We don't trust them. We don't respect them. We're not sure about them. doesn't feel comfortable. This is when we're out of rapport. So we can notice that rapport is a really essential thing that underpins all successful relationships and all great communication. And, in fact, if you don't have rapport, if you don't have that sense of connectiveness, that sense of trust, that sense of... I kind of I get this person they seem like my kind of person if you don't have that you really don't have very much at all if you look at times when you've uh, been talking to somebody and you just haven't had to rapport with them either they didn't get you or like you or you felt that way about them you'll notice these things didn't turn out brilliantly so rapport has to be built and unfortunately rapport can be broken very very easily so we need to be brilliant at recognizing when we have rapport and what we need to do when we're losing it to get it back on track. There were some researchers who did an interesting experiment. They were looking at people in a dating bar. So this is a place where people went specifically to meet members of the opposite sex to see if they can get on, get a date, hang out, start a relationship. And they observed an interesting phenomenon. If they noticed that a couple who just met maybe having a drink, that they started to be in sync with each other. So, for instance, one would lift their glass and the other would lift their glass too. Or if one would uh, cross their legs, the other would cross their legs. One would shuffle around, the other would shuffle around. If they saw this sense of people being in sync or matching each other, it was very predictive that these people would hang around for a while and probably leave the bar together to do whatever they wanted to do for the rest of the evening. Equally, they noticed that people who were out of sync so if somebody lifted their glass and the other put their glass down one crossed their legs and the other moved their arms in a certain way and they were out of sync that they were very unlikely to stay together for the evening so what can we learn from this well the first thing is something called matching that when people match each other it seems as though this encourages rapport 
It's a natural phenomenon that goes along with rapport. So equally, if you begin to match people, you can encourage an increase in rapport. So how do we match? Well, there's lots of ways to match. The, the first obvious one is language. When people use certain words, using those words back in a conversation with them, the specific words, will make them feel like you're both talking about the same thing and you're both on the same page. So for instance, if somebody says, let's go to the shops, then when you talk about the process of going to the shops, you want to use the word shops, not store or supermarket or mall, because they've used the word shops. Many people don't see this subtlety and instead put their own version of the word shops into the conversation and people think, actually, you're not quite getting me, you're not seeing where I'm coming from on this. There's lots of other ways we can match apart from using language. We can notice their gestures, notice the speed of voice tone that they use. We can posture, match them. We can pretty much do anything. So there's a caveat which we'll be coming to later on, which is doing too much of this starts to become unpleasant. It starts to actually become invading their personal space. We'll come back to this when we talk about polluting in a little bit. Benefit of matching is it means that you can encourage a sense of, hey, you know what, we're quite similar. This is useful, of course, because, you know, there are some people you need to work with or talk to who normally wouldn't be your best friend. But in the context of maybe their consumer, customer or a boss, it can be very useful to encourage a better relationship with them. Next, we have leading. Now, the idea of leading is once you're matching people and so, some degree in sync with them, you can help them to move to a different state of mind, activate different neurological processes. So if, for instance, you've met someone and something's happened and they're in shock, they're stunned or stressed, they're likely to be talking fast, breathing fast. What you can do is you can help them by matching them and then leading them by slowing your voice down, slowing your breathing down to allow them to follow you and to calm down at the same time. Which leads us to the next thing, which is called cross-matching. Now, obviously, if somebody's hyperventilating, breathing very fast, and you start to breathe very fast, then you're going to get stressed. Your body physiology is going to change in not a very good way. So this is where cross-matching comes in, which is where you notice somebody is displaying a certain set of behaviors, maybe repetitive movements, posture, breathing, but you know that matching them directly would not be very good for you, then you can actually match in another system. So each time they breathe in, let's say they're breathing very fast like this, <laughs> you don't want to be breathing like that. But you could just, every time you hear their breath going in, you could just tap maybe on your thigh or your table and be very quiet about it. But they would clock that they would notice that unconsciously and they'd notice that sink that was going in that their breathing was somehow being noticed by you and then if you start to then slow your tapping down to this then you'll find their breathing will follow because when you're in sync with someone it becomes an engagement so whatever you do starts to affect them this then leads us on to the interesting thing of polluting and mismatching. Mismatching is when you say the wrong thing. So somebody says, hey, uh, 
I really want to go to the shops. And you go, let's go to the store. And they go, no, I don't want to go to the store. I want to go to the shops. And unintentionally, you've suddenly raised this issue of, what well, do you actually know who they are and what they're talking about? So this is mismatching. So be aware of this, making sure that we use language that it makes sense to them rather than what our version of what they said was. Second thing is this is a skill that you need to be quite careful with. You don't want to launch in to copying everything that people do. If you do this, it will just feel uncomfortable. I talked years ago to an NLP practitioner I wanted to send a client to. Before I trained, it was about 30 years ago. And uh, I said to them, I've got this client that I'd like, I'd like to, uh, to refer to you. And they said, oh, so you have a client you'd like to refer to me? And I went, yeah. And this, I think this client could really benefit from having some NLP. And they said, so you think this client could really benefit by having some NLP? And I said, you know what? I've actually read quite a lot about NLP, and I noticed that you are matching me and my language a little bit too precisely. It's a bit uncomfortable for me. And you know what he said? He said, oh, so you've read some books on NLP, and you think I'm matching you a little bit too precisely. And at that point, I just hung up the phone because I thought, if somebody is using these skills in such an unskillful way, then I won't be referring a client to them. Because matching is a great thing, but if you overmatch, it becomes a bit spooky and a bit sinister. So use it sparingly and use it in a genuine and authentic way with your intention being, how can I encourage a good relationship with this person? So that's a brief overview of rapport. What I'd recommend you do is spend a bit of time looking at who's in rapport with you, who's not in rapport with you, what's going on when they're not, when, you, when somebody rubs you up the wrong way, what happened? When you unintentionally upset someone or switch someone off with something, you said, what happened? Just start to explore this whole idea. And what you'll find is when you're in rapport with somebody, you naturally start to use language and behaviors that are similar to them. Your rhythm kind of matches them. You can see this with kids. If you listen to kids who hang around with each other in a gang, then their language patterns and idioms and behaviors start to become very, very similar. And sometimes when you hear them in another room, you're not sure which kid it is because they all sound very similar to each other after hanging out with each other for a while. So start to explore the idea of rapport. And now we're going to move to the idea of states. States is such an important concept within NLP and my work as a whole. We're going to start today by just exploring it. In the next podcast, we're going to take this even further. First question, obviously, is, okay, what is a state? Well, a state is any state of mind that we get ourselves in. We're always in one state of mind or another. And this is the real key to understanding the human condition. And one of the problems we have is that very often we are in the wrong state of mind to do the job at hand. Understanding this makes success and change much, much easier. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine you're in a car and you're driving to the airport because you've got a plane to catch. Important journey. You've left yourself enough time and suddenly there's a traffic jam. And it's a dreadful traffic jam. Absolutely blocked. A lorry is overturned. It's on fire. And you're sitting there and you're getting later and later. And very soon it's going to get to the point where you're going to miss your flight. How do you feel as you sit in that traffic jam? Well, for most people, they feel 
frustrated, annoyed, angry. But the question is, does that help in any way? Does that make the lorry that's on fire suddenly extinguish itself, turn itself back on its wheels and drive off? No, it doesn't. All it does is make you in more danger of having a heart attack, punching someone, driving erratically, making bad choices. So a classic example of us being in the wrong state. Another great example is interviews. When people go to interviews, what state are they in? Well, most people in an interview situation are nervous, when in fact what we need to be is confident. So state is getting ourselves into a particular state of mind. Technically, it's activating a chunk of neurology, a particular set of neurology that produces feelings and ways of thinking. And this is the problem, is that we are so often in the wrong state. The next problem is that often we don't even realize that we're in a state. We think this is just how it is. And we don't have any tools to know that it's possible to change the state or how to do that. You know, when you think about the schooling we had, you know, we learned lots about maths and English, but we learned a bit about history, a bit about geography. But we never learned about how to change our state. And actually, these are some of the most important things we could ever do. So how do you change your state? Well, that's for a later podcast. But the first thing I like to do is just notice how much of the time you're in the right state and how much of the time you or others are in the wrong state. What would it be like to be able to shift from one state to another? And very briefly, I'm going to introduce another interesting concept here, which is NLP and hypnosis, hypnotherapy, are very, very closely linked. But most people don't realize that. And the reason is most people think that hypnosis and hypnotherapy is like stage hypnosis, where you know you go into a deep sleep and think you're Elvis or a chicken. Hypnosis isn't about that at all. Hypnosis is about helping people to learn how to shift from one state to another. And that's exactly what NLP is as well. And when we think about states and how they're present all the time, the question is not, are you in a state? The question is, what state are you in? And is it useful for you? Then we can start to see that the whole idea of hypnosis is almost irrelevant. It's like people are always in one state or another. Sometimes it's a great state. Sometimes it's not a great state. Also, we find that certain people can encourage us into the wrong states. So, for instance, if we go to a doctor, uh, quite often they'll say something, may or may not be accurate, may be true, may be helpful or not, and we'll completely buy into it. So if a doctor, for instance, says, you know, I'm sorry, this is going to take this long to get well, whether they're right or wrong, that will have a massive influence on how long it does take you to get well. And you could argue this is a hypnotic state, a state where suggestions are made that you've taken on. I would argue instead, it's just that in that moment, we are in a state where we are ready to believe what they say. How often have you had the experience of coming out of, say, a doctor's appointment and somebody saying, you know, what do they say? And you go, oh, you know, I can't quite remember because you kind of went into some state where, you know, you just listened and didn't really take it in. Certainly, I found that in lots of courses at my school. I would come out with not much of an idea of what had gone on, apart from how beautiful the trees were outside of the window. Again, when we're studying, we're very often in the wrong state. What state do we need to be in when we're studying? To be focused, we need to be sharp, we need to be taking it all in. However, 
that's often not the state we're in. So start to look at the idea of states, where they occur in your life, where they're useful, where they occur in your life, where they're not useful. And particularly notice it in other people. It's very easy to see this in other people. It's even wiser to be able to see it in ourselves. And the last thing I'd like to talk about is the serenity prayer, which is something I've talked about a lot and written about a lot. Serenity prayer says, God grant me the courage to change the things I can change. The serenity to accept the things I can't. And the wisdom to know the difference between these two things. And this is very much what we're talking about with states. Often we put ourselves in the wrong state where we get frustrated with the way things are, even though we can't change them, like the traffic jam. We don't put our energy into doing the thing we can do, which is changing how we deal with things, changing our state, dealing with things, responding in a different way. That's where real wisdom lies. And we're going to be exploring this in the podcasts of the future, how you can change your state, how you can start to deal with the things you need to deal with, how to find a way to be okay and accept the things you can't change. And as a result, start to be more present to what's going on that's powerful and positive in your life and enjoying your life and making the absolute best you possibly can from it. If you'd like to get hold of the rest of the series, you can purchase them directly from the iTunes store. Just search for Phil Parker and Essential NLP. You might also like our newsletter, which you can sign up for at philparker.org. It will provide you with free bonus content on these subjects, information about forthcoming seminars, and all sorts of stuff that will support you in learning this. So that's philparker.org. Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life.